Good morning and welcome to Sunday School at Second Baptist. I'm glad you could be with me today. <clears throat> We're going to talk about the crucifixion today and the um, that time that led right up to it and then the event itself. And, you know, there's a lot of material in this study and we won't be able to touch on every little aspect of it, but we'll, we'll do our best to see if we can't look at it um, generally. And, you know, I think the way that we're going to try to focus on this is to remember that Jesus gave his life. It was not taken from him. Um, but he gave his life for us and for all who would believe. And so, you know, it, it's a focus that we need to remember. I think it's it's easy to get caught into a trap of focusing on the details of what happened to him and forget the big picture of why it happened. And so we're going to try to do a little bit of both. The last lesson we left off um, in Luke chapter 22, when Peter had um, denied Jesus three times and then the, the rooster crowed and Peter went out and wept bitterly. And so that is where that, that scripture ended. And so we pick up right from there, then Peter has gone out now and the events continue with Jesus there in the um, home of the high priest. And so it says that, you know, the men who were holding him, holding him in custody were, were mocking him and beating him and all sorts of horrible uh, things that they already were doing to him before any of the um, you know, false trials, I guess you might say, took place. And so um, they were saying many other, you know, things, blasphemous things against him. And then when it says when it was day, now I'm looking at Luke chapter 22 and verse 66. So it says when it was day, the council of the elders of the people assembled. Um, and so they assembled in their council chamber. They took him from the chief priest's house over to the council chamber and they assembled themselves. And then um, in verse 67, it says, this is what they said to him, if you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask a question, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. And, then, and they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, Yes, I am. Okay, so that was the interaction that he had within the council chamber. And, of course, they all went you know, ballistic over that and said, what other proof do we need? 
um, we've heard it from his own mouth that he says that he's the son of God. And so it says the whole body of them got up and brought him before Pilate. Now, when they got to Pilate, uh, they began to make some accusations against him. They didn't come in and say, this, this man has said that he's the son of God, which apparently was the thing that set them off just previously. But when they get over to Pilate, who was a Roman ruler in that area, and Pilate was the only person, or, you know, it had to be a Roman that was going to decide that someone could be put to death. And so they brought him over to Pilate. They began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. So now they've twisted it, haven't they? They've taken a different perspective and tried to make it something that they feel like Pilate would object to. And, you know, they're saying, well, he called himself a king and he's not paying taxes. And then he was misleading our nation. So those were his three accusations. And so Pilate asked him saying, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him and said, it is as you say. And so I think, you know, if you read the other Gospels, you get more, more of the story between Pilate, his wife, gives him a warning, don't, you know, don't have anything to do with this man, he's an innocent man, and all of that. You can put that all together. But Pilate then says to them, I don't find any guilt in this man. Uh, but then they kept on insisting he's stirring up the people um, and all the way from Galilee to here, you know, making, um, teaching all over the place these false things. And so then when he heard them say, when Pilate heard them say he was a Galilean, then he thought, okay, I'm off the hook because he knew that Herod was in the vicinity and Herod would have jurisdiction over that area of Galilee. And so he decided, okay, I'm going to take myself off the hook and I'm just going to send him over to Herod. And so he did that. Herod was also in Jerusalem. And so he sent him over to Herod. Now, Herod was the grandson of the Herod that tried to kill Jesus when he was born, uh, when he killed all the babies and, and that sort of thing. And so um, Herod then, I'm now down in Luke 23, verse 8. So I'm summarizing. I haven't gotten to the lesson yet. <laughs> I'm summarizing. So now in 23, 8, Herod was very glad when he saw Jesus because he had wanted to see him for a long time and had been hearing something about him and he wanted to see a miracle you know he wanted to see Jesus do some tricks or whatever you know and um, he questioned him but Jesus would not answer him anything or do anything did not perform for him as he probably asked him to do and the chief priests and scribes were there and accusing Jesus and Herod, after treating him with contempt and mocking him, dressed him in a robe, a gorgeous robe, or 
I think in some places it says a royal robe or whatever, and sent him back to Pilate. So Herod didn't get the result that he wanted, but uh, he had no reason to pronounce the judgment of death on Jesus. And so he sent him back to Pilate. Um, and then Pilate summoned the chief priests and the rulers of the people. And he said to him, you brought me, you brought this man to me as one who incites the people to rebellion. And I have found no guilt in this man regarding the charges you make against him, nor has Herod, for he sent him back to us. Nothing deserving death has been done to him, by him, so I'm going to punish him and then release him. And then the people begin to cry out and saying, take this guy away and bring him to death or crucify him and release Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a notorious criminal who had been arrested for murder and insurrection so he was a wicked person and so the people began to cry out you know no you know take jesus away we want him to be killed and release barabbas if you're going to release somebody release barabbas and so it was like a riot was breaking out um and so pilate then they kept on saying, crucify him, crucify him. And he kept on saying to them, he's not done anything wrong. And then they were insistent. And it says, um, with loud voices, insistent. And then Pilate pronounced sentence that their demand be granted. And he released Barabbas and deliver Jesus to their will, it says. So, there's a few things that, you know, we want to comment on that whole section of the trials, I guess you might say. Uh, one was that you see a, very much of a mob mentality that has happened now, where the people are stirred up uh, we can speculate who may have stirred them up, you know, the chief priests and scribes. Um, but they are stirred up now, and they're just, uh, they've, you know, gone nuts, and they, they're just saying, crucify him, crucify him. Um, and, you know, that's what happens in a mob mentality, isn't it? People who might not normally be that way, but when they get in this in this mob, they suddenly are doing things that they might have never uh, thought of themselves doing. As an individual, they would have never done that. But then when they get in that mob, then they feel, you know, I can do anything I want to. I can let go and just, you know, do whatever. And so they begin to call for Jesus to be crucified. And now, you know, you can imagine the devil... <laughs> is as happy as can be at this time because he feels like, okay, I'm fixing to do away with him uh, permanently. And so, you know, all of those things are in play in this. And then the other thing 
um, that I feel like is is that Pilate in particular he bowed to um, pressure, you know, and he changed his judgment. He was put there to judge correctly, you know, to rule in this area, and he bowed and changed his judgment uh, based on this mob mentality. And so, and, and you do see all through history those leaders who are not willing to stand up against a mob who thinks they're right, um, even when that, that leader themselves knows that the wrong thing is happening. And, I mean, this is not new. This is, you know, history repeats itself, doesn't it? But that's exactly what was happening here in this case. Pilate bowed to the pressure. Now, um, is all of this a fulfillment of God's will? Yes, it is. It was meant uh, for it to happen this way. Um, but, of course, Pilate played the part that he was intended to play, I guess, in all of it. And so they then led Jesus away. And on the way going, um, they, you know, asked this man, Simon of Cyrene, who uh, to carry the cross. And then the people were mourning and lamenting these ladies and following and crying and, you know, carrying on about Jesus being crucified, he said to them, he turned to them and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, stop weeping for me. This is in uh, Luke 23:28. Daughters of Jerusalem, stop weeping for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if they do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? I thought that was a profound statement because we see that, you know, there are a large number of, of uh, Jewish people who followed Jesus. But a much larger number did not. And they had Jesus right there to see him and to, and to know him and to witness the miracles and hear the things he said. And yet they chose to not uh, believe that he was the Messiah. And so he says, if they do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? And now we see that dry tree, even up to today, where Jesus has been gone preparing a place for the believers. And up to today, the Jewish people still wholeheartedly reject him. And there are a few, you know, that come to belief. But there are so many that just wholeheartedly reject that he was the Messiah. And... um. We were just doing, discussing people group research in the last couple of days, you know, 
with this new mission um, opportunity that we have, we're working with who are the most unreached people in America. And one of the largest unreached groups in America are Jewish people from all different parts of the world who have come to New York City and um, Ohio and some other places to settle, you know, here. But they are so unreached with the gospel. They've not accepted the gospel. And they're one of the large unreached groups. Okay, now we're going to start then on the, the verses that are actually focused um, on by our lesson. And the first two verses that I'm going to read is Luke 23 and verses 33 and 34. So I'm going to read those. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, which it had referred to two criminals who were also being being uh, sent to cruci be crucified, and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. So they, they came out of the city with him to this place called... Um, the skull, or in another one of the Gospels, it calls it Golgotha. In my notes, in my smaller notes, it, it calls it, um, in Latin, Calvarius, or Calvary. So they came to this place where the crucifixions happened, and that was called Calvary, the place of the skull. And they began to, you know, crucify him, in other words, nailing him to a cross. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. You know, there there is some debate in the book, in the student book, as to whether he was talking about the Roman soldiers who he was asking God to forgive because they didn't know what they were doing or who they were crucifying or if he was talking about specific a specific group, or if he was talking about everyone, everywhere. You know, in my mind, I think even at that point, there would have been a chance for the these Jewish leaders to repent and turn to God and to realize the error of their ways in crucifying the Messiah that God had sent. You know, so I feel like his his idea of forgive them because they don't know what they're doing really applied to all because that is how salvation is applied, isn't it? We don't get to make a judgment and say, oh no, salvation is for these people, but not these people. That's not the way it works, is it? According to John 3.16, it's for everyone. And so I have to feel like this um, statement that he made covered everyone as he was asking God, you know, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They, they don't understand. They just don't get it. They don't understand. 
And so, of course, many prophecies are being fulfilled throughout all of this time right here where it talks about they divided his clothes and cast lots for his clothing and um, that uh, he would be counted among the criminals. You know, all of those things were from Isaiah and the Psalms and different places in the Old Testament where it was predicting these things would happen to the Messiah. And, you know, we don't have time to delve into each one of those, but those are there. And many prophecies were being fulfilled right at this time. So let's go on and read verse 35 now. And the people stood by looking on, and even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. So the rulers of the people and the, you know, the onlookers, this was their statement. You know, if he, he saved all these other people from death or from sickness or whatever, let him save himself if he's really, you know, let him prove it by saving himself. And um, so... You know, they were still mocking him, I guess you might say. And when I think about this, and I think about the um, the idea that Jesus had said they don't know what they're doing, you know, we get an idea in our mind about the way that God, what God thinks, or the way God will act in a certain situation. And then we get disappointed because that didn't happen the way we think God should have acted. Um, and when actually God acted exactly as he planned to act all along. And that's what happened here. God's plan was not their plan. Their plan was to have a Messiah who was going to, you know, save the nation and rule over them. And they would never be under Roman rule anymore and et cetera, et cetera. And they were looking for that type of a savior and so these things that were happening did not fit into their plan for what the messiah was going to be like and so because of that then they just started to ridicule and make fun of and even though they saw like i said last week the miracles right in front of them they could not accept that he could possibly be the Messiah uh, and fit into these things that were happening. You know, it just didn't compute for them. And so then let's go on to verses 36 to 39. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now, there was also an inscription above him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. So the two criminals that are hanging there alongside of him, you know, this one criminal was saying, it, You know, if you're, if you're the Christ, save yourself and save us. You know, what are you doing? And... Um, also, this inscription had been put up. We don't know who put it up. Maybe the soldiers. If they had heard and been at the trials, which they likely were, 
where it had been said he was the king of the Jews, then they, you know, were m maybe making fun of that statement or saying, oh yeah, the Jewish, you know, Jewish people, we're looking down on them and here's your king, you know, we're looking down on him too. So that was all, you know, playing into it. And the, this criminal, you know, cries out and says, save us, save us all. Okay, and then we go on to verses 40 to 43. But the other, so the other criminal, answered and rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. So this criminal that's hanging here, he seems to get it. Because he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So he, he somehow gets the idea that this is not the end for Jesus. And how he understood that, we don't know, or how he you know figured that out. But he, he realizes there's more to it than that. And Jesus, because of his faith and his belief and his understanding, then Jesus says today... You will be with me in paradise. So, you know, he, he makes it clear that we're about to die, but we're not going to remain here when that happens. We're going to be in paradise together, you know, because of your statement of faith that you've made. Now, all those things weren't said in that one sentence, but that's the gist of it, you know. And um, so then in verse 44 and 45, it was now about the sixth hour. The sixth hour would be 12 o'clock noon on our clock. It was now about the sixth hour and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour because the sun was obscured and the veil of the temple was torn in two. So for three hours from noon until three in the afternoon, because they counted their time from six in the morning when the sun came up. So the sixth hour would have been noon and then uh, the ninth hour would have been three o'clock in the afternoon. So for those three hours, the sun refused to shine now we don't know was it an eclipse did god just shut down the sun for that amount of time was you know what exactly caused that to happen we don't know it does not describe it to us in in detail but nevertheless it became like nighttime um for those three hours and also, during that time, the, the uh, veil of the temple, let's see, what does it call it? The, yeah, it calls it the veil. The veil of the temple, or the curtain, was torn in two. Now, in another one of the Gospels, it says that the veil of the temple was torn from the top 
to the bottom. And so this is important because that curtain was the thing that stood between the Holy of Holies and kept the common man from being able to see the Ark of the Covenant or the, the holy things that were there that only the priest could go in once a year and, um, you know, see, be in the presence of God in that place and, and those sorts of things. And so by the that curtain being torn from top to bottom, now if a man had torn it in half, Let's say one of the disciples uh, decided, I'm going to tear that curtain, and I'm going to run over there, and I'm going to do that. He would have torn it at the bottom and, you know, ripped it this way and let it go all the way up. That would have been the normal way that a person would have done it. So it was significant that they said it was torn from top to bottom because God is the one who tore that curtain. He is the one that created a new covenant with people at this time when Jesus died. He died for the sins. There was not a need for those sacrifices anymore. Jesus was the sacrifice to end all the sacrifices. He allowed us to be able to approach God and know God and have the Spirit of God living within us and be believers in that way. And that, you know, we're so fortunate to live in the time that we do so that we can have that understanding and that relationship with God. We don't even appreciate it near as much as we should um, because it was so different before that day and after that day. The world changed, uh, you know, when this happened. And... um Okay, let's go on then and let's finish up. In verse 46, Jesus crying out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. And so, you know, he put, him, put his spirit into the care of God at that point and he breathed his last breath and he died. And... You know, then from there, you know, it goes on to what we've already studied about the resurrection and the, the, the events that followed. But this, I, I, I guess this day is the pivotal day of all Christian history, of all the history of the world. Because everything that happened before this day led right up to it. And everything that has happened since then reflects back to it. Every, everything in history hinges or pivots on this moment when Jesus died to take away the sins of the world. And nothing else matters as much as this, if that makes sense. And so... You know, it's good for us to think about these things because we really, like I said, we don't appreciate our salvation as much as we should. If we appreciated it as much as we should, then we would not stop telling other people about it because it would be so wonderful to us 
and we would not want anyone to not know about it. And so, you know, we have to consider that and to try to do better in telling others about the wonderful thing that we know about, which is salvation through Jesus. Okay, well, that's the, the end of that lesson for today. Thank you for being with me. Um, we are headed towards finishing up this book. And if you have the chance, um, I would like, like it very much if you would call uh, Clint or Daniel and let them know if you want the Sunday School um, online like this to continue or if you're, you know, if not, because um, starting in June, then they're going to open Sunday school back up at the church. But I don't want to stop doing this if it's important to people to still continue to have this. But we need to know. And so if you could let Clint or Daniel know, that would be great so that we can have some feedback and, and know, you know, kind of how to go forward. Thank you, and I'll see you next week.